Welcome to episode 346 of the AMPM podcast. My guest this week is Dakota Morse. Dakota built an eight-figure business in just over a year. He's got some great tips about creating videos and video marketing, as well as a bunch of other great stuff in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. And don't forget this summer, I'm debuting the Billion Dollar Sellers newsletter. It's 100% free for listeners of this podcast. So be sure to go to BillionDollarSellers.com and put in your email address and name to get on the beta list so you can be one of the first to get this brand new newsletter. It's going to be chock full of advice and tips and strategies and hacks for e-com and Amazon sellers. BillionDollarSellers.com. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. Welcome to the AMPM Podcast. We explore opportunities in e-commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus, this is the podcast where money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are you, you ready? Ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King. Dakota Morse, welcome to the AMPM podcast. I'm super stoked to have you here with us today. Really appreciate you having me on the podcast. Uh, I've been listening to it for a while. I'm a big fan of Helium 10 and the uh, course that you have on there. I actually just took it super recently. Really amazing. And uh, yeah, excited to be connecting finally. Now, w- now, wait a second. You're an experienced seller. You run like a, was a seven or eight figure brand. Why... Are you taking a course made for beginners on, called Freedom Ticket that's included <laughs> with any Helium 10 subscription? You're not the first one to say that, but I just want people to understand there's a lot of people that go into Helium 10 and they're like, ah, I don't need some uh, beginner course. I don't, what, you know, I already know what I'm doing. And they don't, they don't click on that. Uh, but why should they reconsider? Yeah, so I'm an eight-figure seller between Amazon and Shopify put together, uh, but Helium 10 obviously is, most would say, the best tool when it comes to Amazon. But with it being such a robust tool, they're always adding new features and functions. And when I first launched my initial product, I did it kind of the manual way. I wasn't really using a tool uh, that helps me kind of automate the process. And now I have about 35 products under my main brand, Wallaby Goods. And the last, I'd say, 15 products that I've launched uh, have all come through Helium 10. And it largely came from the training that I got uh, within your course. So I've had a lot more home runs recently than I've had, you know, in my initial spat. And I could have probably saved, uh, you know, probably about $100,000 being completely honest, you know, if I had been a little bit smarter about how I chose products, analyzed competition, um, and made sure, you know, I was launching smart rather than just hoping I had something, which I sometimes didn't. <laughs> So, so freedom ticket. You what you're saying is then it, it's good for experienced and new sellers because it might fill in a gap that you don't know that even if you've been successful or give you a different way of thinking about something or approaching something. Yeah, the modules are set up super well. Uh, that's one thing that I really like is the ability to go into modules where I feel like I was weak. Um, so obviously, like the first couple modules are great for new Amazon sellers, but then as you start to get into the more advanced Amazon sellers or even looking up. Uh, how you've set up your business uh, within you know the different uh, modules about like virtual assistants or whatever you know it gave me a lot of ideas about how I could uh, you know improve what I was doing and actually has allowed me a lot more freedom in a lot of ways to travel more and then as I looked into I wasn't really using advertising uh, through Helium 10 at all or like informing our keyword strategy through Helium um, so yeah that really changed kind of fundamentally even within our 
agency how we approach ads. So I think I think it's definitely something that everyone who's advanced and beginners obviously should check out. But advanced people like obviously need to be looking at some of the more advanced tools within the uh, modules that you kind of speak through. Now you before you were a seller, you actually worked for Amazon, right? You in in corporate, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I worked for Amazon for five years. Um, I worked in the advertising division called Amazon Advertising. It was called Amazon Media Group when I first joined. Um, I was my first job right out of college, which was pretty crazy. And uh, actually, at my first client meeting, uh, I couldn't even have a drink of alcohol. I was 20 years old. So it's pretty funny. I'm sitting at a table with a CMO of a public headphone company. And uh, he orders uh, Louis Thirteenth. Which is like a very expensive cognac, which is like it's like a three or four hundred dollar glass of cognac, and I couldn't even have a sip of it. So he got to have two glasses, which he was happy about, <laughs> and expensive back to the company. But uh, yeah, it was really awesome. Basically, my job at Amazon um, was working with rapidly growing brands and consulting them on their advertising. So everything from sponsored product ads, sponsored brand ads, and then Amazon DSP, like the display ads. So. So your knowledge and the connections that you made by working in Amazon for those five years, you were able to leverage that into starting an agency. So your your agency does ads or do you do everything for them? Do you manage the entire account and the inventory and all that stuff? Or is it just a, a hyper-focused on a, a certain aspect of things? Yeah. So my agency is called Alt Group, A-L-T Group. And basically it was, we wanted to take an alternative approach to advertising. And when we first launched it was right when the sponsored brand video advertising unit got released on Amazon. And for those that don't know, that's when you're on typically on mobile and you type in a specific keyword like dog jacket and you scroll down and then you'll see a video playing that's about halfway down the page and it'll be like a really compelling ad. And at the time, those ads were going crazy. Everyone was trying to buy into those ads because it gets you right on the front page of search results. And that's the holy grail of Amazon is probably everyone who's watching this or listening to this knows is first page is where you need to be. 70% of people don't click past the first page. So the thing was, is that everyone wanted this video ad. And I was at Amazon. And I was like, all my clients were wanting to spend money on this. And I was commissioned at the time. So I'm like, how do I sell more of these video ads? But there really was no good provider of these videos. So I kind of like had that itch of like, here's a product market fit situation where there's these companies that I had been working with at Amazon that have you know thousands of products or hundreds of products, even 10 products, and the videos have a direct return on investment. So if they spend you know $2,000 on a video, that video is actually going to generate them $10,000. So the video has a five to one return and no one was able to actually give them the videos uh, in a constant supply. And I said, okay, I'm going to leave Amazon and kind of take like a jump of leap of faith. And I worked with one of my buddies who... Uh, had a basically a camera and was kind of doing a side hustle of video production. And we under, we thought, okay, if we can get a hundred videos made, you know, at, at $2,000 a pop, you know, we're basically making, you know, more money than we're making at Amazon. And it's kind of a no brainer and it ended up being really successful. And we make a lot of videos now for uh, Amazon aggregators like Perch. Um, we work with companies like Veradesk, Sabra Hummus. So it went from us just kind of having this like, I in the pie in the sky idea related to video content. And with the success of that, uh, the clients have now come back and said, Hey, we love how quickly you guys do video for us, how efficient it is, the returns that we get from the videos and the content that you produce with A plus content, detail pages, whatever it might be. We want you to do ads, Shopify, Facebook, Google, 
Um, so you just kind of tacked on uh, responsibilities and it's grown a lot. So what's a mistake that you see a lot of sellers make when they're creating videos for their for video ads or, or something they should be doing that they're not doing? What, what, what's a difference maker there? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say one of the biggest things that I see consistently uh, is, I guess, two things. One is they don't articulate benefits of products in the videos um, and they don't grab the attention right away um, within the videos. So let me break those down a little bit more. So when a video starts, you need to capture that eyeball right away. A customer's on Amazon. It's a hyper-efficient shopping experience. Most people only spend like two minutes on Amazon. You know, They need toilet paper and then they're gone, right? And they might realize they need something else. But if your video is not grabbing their attention right away, you know, and like you're kind of showing it in like an engaging way or a dynamic way right at the beginning of the video, then you're they're going to keep scrolling and not click through to that um, that detail page. So a, way, a good way to do that is to like show a person like dancing right in the beginning of the video or show them like holding the product or doing something a little like crazy. I've seen some really cool videos recently where people uh, kind of emulate the search result page and will make it look like as they're scrolling down, it's just a normal search result. And then the product starts like bouncing across the screen. It like really grabs your attention. And then what you need to do is articulate a level of benefit. So you don't just want to show the product because that's just like, okay, this product's cool. But if someone continues to watch that product, you want to explain why they should click on yours versus, you know, the other search results on that page. You know, so for toilet paper, again, as an example, uh, you know, you could say it's thicker, more absorbent, you know, just articulating like why the customer should click versus just saying, you know, this is a fancy video and, you know, you might not have that, you know, uh, conversion or that click through because you haven't really helped the consumer understand why your offering is better than the competitors that are on the same page that might be cheaper uh, than your offering. Um, I think one of the last things too is a lot of sellers make the mistake of not analyzing metrics when it comes to video content. Um, so just making sure that you're understanding like obviously the performance of your video ads and running multiple different types of video ads to understand which ones are obviously getting the highest return on investment and then optimizing future video assets like videos that you make as your brand in the direction that's most effective for you. So if you just launch one video and it gets like a 1x ROAS, you're kind of like, okay, this video is terrible. Like video doesn't work for us. And I see that all the time. Like people are like, oh, we, we tried video, it didn't work. Or we tried influencer and it didn't work. It's like, okay, but like, did you try split testing or did you try like one with a person and one with like a dog or you know did you try different like approaches to the the intro and the answer is almost always no and if you run obviously the videos that have different tests you know and you'll start to see oh my god the one with the the dancing dog or the one with the the woman or the one that even just showed the product and didn't show any people and it actually performed best and then you start to optimize in that direction and that leads to the greatest performance over time for any video asset not just on amazon how important is, I mean, I know most people are, are scrolling without the sound. So a lot of people don't work. You got to make sure the message comes across without any sound. But what about the quality? There's some people that say more user-generated content, uh, more rough around the edges does better than, you know, something professionally shot by a, a, a 4K camera crew in a studio or something. What What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's a great question. We've historically seen, we've we've created thousands of videos at this point. I've probably... I've probably recorded within our agency seven or 8,000 videos, and most of them are sponsored brand video assets. And those are for some of the biggest aggregators, um, some of the names I can't disclose. But the 
the most successful for Amazon has typically been for us more professional looking content um, that makes the brand look like very clean and modern and has models in it um, or shows the product with professional lighting and text overlay. And that's just for Amazon. So that's what we're seeing in terms of like sounds and noises and things like that. Not critical, to be honest. Most people, as you said, uh, are shopping uh, on mobile, don't necessarily unmute um, while they're scrolling on Amazon because like you might be on the bus or whatever, you know, coming home from work, you realize, you know, you need whatever. So we've seen the videos that are professional looking and then have that text overlay that captures the attention and shows the benefits. Text overlay is basically just like if you show a model with toilet paper, it's like, uh, you know, shows the benefits like super thick and then it go, goes into the next screen and then it just shows like a bunch of benefits while keeping engaging. And then we'll put music over that, but it's not, there's no like narration in pretty much in any of our videos. And I think that's an extra cost that's not necessary for most of the content. But if we're talking Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter ads, you, the UGC, the user generated content that feels more natural is made by like an influencer is much, much more successful than running anything that looks remotely professional. And the remote, the professional stuff is like basically totally ineffective at this point. So what's it cost to create a video like that? I mean, is it a pack of package deal? Or is 10 grand for, for three of them or something? Or what, what's a, at that level, what, what is a client typically paying? Or is it like a, just an ongoing contract where you do so many per month for, or, or how's that work? Yeah, it's a great question. So when I started my agency, I wanted to offer really uh, efficient pricing. I think that's like a, one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of brands cross and they don't want to get video content is I was at Amazon and I was like, what are you guys paying for video content to one of the larger companies I was working with? And they were like, oh, we pay like 10 grand per video. And I was like, 10 grand, like, damn, like you guys must have blown like an over a million dollars with your like video agency this year. And they're like, oh, easily a million, yeah, a million, oh, way more than a million. I was like, that's crazy. Like, cause I'm obviously like, I'm, I'm still not making crazy money at Amazon, you know, six figures. And I was like, okay, damn, like if I can, you know, make more videos and are better quality. Will you guys start to like give me, you know, some of that that video um, production budget? And they're like, yeah, that's a no brainer, especially if your videos perform better. You know, and I just started getting those like rumblings of people like overspending, in my opinion, for a video, piece of video content that was compelling. So our videos are typically about two thousand um, dollars, like we anywhere from like eighteen fifty to two thousand um, dollars per video. And the reason for that, and some people will say like. Oh, that's really expensive. You know, I could just like shoot something in my garage, which is entirely true. You know, and if you're capable of doing that, you know, I encourage it. But like on average, most of our videos are getting about a six x return on ad spend. Um, so that's like our our benchmarked average that we report to our partners. And you know, our clients keep coming back for more and more video content because, like, yeah, even if it's two thousand dollars, you know, you're, it's essentially an asset that you implement into the Amazon Ads ecosystem. And then it's just multiplying dollars for your brand at that point, you know, as you start to get more reach. And then you can also use the same video on your detail page, uh, you know, which in most cases is enhancing the conversion rate of the product page, you know, if it's doing a good job of explaining the, the product. Um, and most customers will say, I think there's a statistic like not that long ago that about 80% of customers would rather watch a video about a product than read about the product. Like I pretty much never read bullet points anymore. Um, I look at the title, I look at the images, and then I look at the video, you know, when I buy something on Amazon. And if a brand doesn't have a piece of video content, I'm kind of like, okay, well, like, I might buy from the brand that does have video content, because I can actually see 
the thing, like and how it'll fit in my space and what it looks like and how it's going to be, you know, used in my environment. Is there a certain length that videos should be? Is there like, have you tested like a, you need to make them 22 seconds or 44 seconds or I know Amazon has a, an upper limit, but have you found anything to be, you know, how long, where's people stop watching and make sure your message is in this, this, um, anything like that? Yeah, we'll typically do like two cuts depending. Um, so like obviously Amazon has a bunch of different places that videos can go nowadays, um, which is another thing. Like I think a lot of people are like oh, not investing in video content, but then you're also seeing Amazon put video content in like so many different places on their website. You know, so obviously you have like sponsored brand video. You've got the video that's in the detail page. You have videos related to this product now, which you can actually even impl- implement your own videos there as a brand. Um, you have the video in the premium A plus content. You have video in the brand store. Um, and if you, when you look at Amazon's pages, which is like another tactic, which I think is really funny that people don't really use, is like actually going to Amazon's detail pages for their Alexa products or their Ring products because Amazon obviously has access to way more metrics than we do. You know about the performance of their detail pages and what's impacting their detail pages and the heat maps of where people are scrolling and blah 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 blah. So. I copy a lot of Amazon's detail pages, you know, and how they set them up and their best practices, you know, for the minute lengths of their videos and how they even run their own video ads um, with sponsored brand video. Uh, And not saying it's always best practice, but I think directionally it's helpful, you know, to understand what they're doing. But what we've seen typically work best, and this is again similar to Amazon's best practices that they're running on their pages, is uh, we're seeing the Videos for sponsored brand video that are under 25 seconds typically work best um, just so they're super quick, super compelling. We have videos that are only 15 seconds for sponsored brand video that work super well. But I would say no matter what, keep it under 30 seconds um, because other, any longer than that, it's just too long you know, and you're going to lose people. A lot of content on YouTube now, uh, they say if you don't capture the customer in the first two seconds, then you're losing the, the customer. And then uh, for detail page videos... Uh, we're typically more in like a 45 second range for those because a lot of customers on the detail page will like do the scroll bar, you know, so you can scroll to like the part of the video that like articulates uh, what you're interested in seeing. So you, besides doing the agency and doing all this video stuff, you also are selling it. Like you said, it's eight figures between Amazon and, and off Amazon. How important is it for people to actually be off Amazon. How important is this new, you're hearing this omni-channel all the time now. The guys at Amazing, uh, at SellerCon are talking about it. Uh, everybody's talking about it. And, and people are always, when they come on Amazon, it's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, When should someone, Amazon's such a good place because they already have the eyeballs. They already have the traffic. They already have systems in place. Shopify is a whole different animal uh, or WooCommerce or whatever you might be using. But when when should someone actually start focusing on Shopify? Is it from the beginning if, or is it only the bigger guys that have money to spend sh- should do it? Or should you wait till you get established on Amazon and then go, maybe you have a basic Shopify site that's just there for credibility, but you don't really put much focus on it. W- when's the right time for a seller to actually truly start looking at Omnichannel? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think Omnichannel is going to become an increasingly important topic over the next, even like, year, but it's going to become really big in the next five years. uh, Because Amazon's obviously a great marketplace, you know, and we do about 40% of our revenue uh, from Amazon. So about 60% of our revenue is coming from Shopify. 
right now. And I actually just launched my brand, Wallaby Good, on Amazon initially. So I had no true intention of really going the Shopify route initially. But I had seen brands while I was at Amazon um, do massive revenue through their Shopify stores. It was typically more like 25% or 20% of their total revenue. But these were brands that were doing like multi-hundred million dollars in revenue. And I realized that a lot of the growth that had occurred for them on Amazon was actually coming from an omni-channel experience that they were offering to customers and their ability to grow a brand off of Amazon. And I know that that can sound like very like foo-foo-y and like hypothetical, but the idea is basically that you need to grow your brand off of Amazon so that when people come to Amazon, they're more familiar um, with the brand benefits that you offer. So it's basically like when people go, and I like to say, use this as my example, when people go to buy a pair of shoes, they're not like typing in shoes to Amazon typically, right? They're typing in like Nike, Puma, Adidas, right? And like the reason for that is like what's called like brand affinity. And if you can establish like that brand identity off of Amazon um, and really help people understand the benefits of the products, it's that much more likely that when they come to Amazon, they're not typing in, uh, for me, for example, they're not typing in long-term food storage bags. They're typing in Wallaby long-term food storage bags or just uh, Wallaby goods bags. You know, And like our branded searches are insane for our product because as we started to focus more and more attention on our Shopify store, where we also have higher margin because we're not paying uh, marketplace fees, you know, we just started seeing like an increased uh, level of sales that we never really expected. You know, and it went from like five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent of our revenue all the way up, to, you know, now to about sixty percent of our revenue. And customers love buying from our site because we offer more value on our site as well through bundling and discounts and deals and couponing through our email list um, that you can't get on Amazon. And then we do a lot of education on uh, social media. And then what I really like about Omnichannel compared to Amazon uh, is with Shopify, email, all these things. When I launch a product now, it's like I can email out to 200,000 people that I have on my email list that I got for free. You know, I didn't have to like incentivize these people to join the email list, or whatever. I give them 10% off in some cases, but you know, 200,000 people on the email list, 40,000 Instagram followers. You know, we have uh, 50,000 text phone numbers that are opted into SMS through Attentive. And when I launch a new product, I can catapult new products on Amazon to, uh, you know, top 10 almost instantly, you know, just because of the demand and the built in audience I have there. And Amazon's not giving you access to that audience. You know, so both in parallel, you know, in the long winded answer, I'd say is the best strategy. But I think you should start from the beginning um, if you're going to get going because it's like, why not? Shopify now, especially with uh, the buy with Prime, um, uh, what, what's it? Sh- uh, ship shop with Prime, or what's it called? Uh, yeah, buy so with Prime. The buy with yeah, the buy with Prime, where you can actually have Amazon. Uh, you could always have Amazon fulfill, but you can now seamlessly do it. And uh, so, in the past, a lot of people would might find you on Shopify because you drove them there from your Facebook ads or your socials. But then like, I don't know this site. I don't trust it. I don't want to enter my, I don't have my credit card with me. I'm sitting on the bus or whatever, uh, but I got it stored over at Amazon. Let me go check over on Amazon and see if it's there. And that's where, like, like you said, if you're a brand and you're there, you can often launch just on Amazon by doing nothing, uh, just by throwing it up there, not having to even run any PPC if you don't want to, or any kind of launch campaigns. And I know like uh, Matt Clark was on the, this 
uh, on the podcast uh, a couple months ago, and he was talking about their coffee company where they can just take a, a skew and just throw it up on Amazon. And it starts doing a hundred thousand dollars a month without them doing anything because they have all this brand awareness. And I always say like on Amazon, you're not really a brand until you have at least 3000 searches per month. So that, that's just my rule of thumb. Uh, I mean, that's not some hard set facts, but if you can get to where people are typing your brand name, you know, Nike, Adidas, whatever it is three, with something else qualifier after it, that's fine. At least three times, 3000 times a month. That's when, to me, in my mind, okay, you've made it. When I'm looking on some one of my businesses, we license products, and the brands come to us and you know they say we're uh, we're body glove or, or whatever. You want to license and create you know some dog products for surfers. We're like, okay, let's take a look at it. Let's let's see actually how big of a I know who you are. You've been around for years, but let's see on Amazon. Does it matter? Are people actually going there to search? And if I go and I see, yeah, there's like 360 searches for that brand name in the past year, I'm like, this is not going to be a good licensing deal because I'm going to have to do all the work. I can't pay them 7% to use their name and their name is really not worth much uh, in this space. So it, it's 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 important. Um, so what's the difference though? A lot of people don't understand. These are two completely different business models in a lot of ways. Amazon, you're, the traffic is already there. You're trying to figure out exactly how to get in front of it and beat out the competition. On Shopify, you're having to... Cr- drive that traffic and create that traffic, whether it's on social or from email list or what's the, there's a big difference there, even though the benefits, like you said, or you get the customer name and email address and all that, what do you have to do to make a Shopify site successful? I would say the biggest things have been, uh, well, I just guess going back to what you just said, I think, uh, and buy with prime, obviously it's like a, it's a really interesting play for Amazon, you know, and I don't know, like, exactly you know the amazon's long-term play with buy with prime but amazon's obviously recognizing that there's this huge opportunity that doesn't exist on amazon right there's this huge buyer pool of people that while maybe a lot love amazon a lot don't love amazon or see that there's like increased value from other you know shopify stores so i think that gets to the root of like why people should start shopify is like amazon's always like looking for where the money is you know and if there's money to be found bezos has like a little you know, tactic to explore and find it, you know, so they've activated this payment gateway, which we've actually had a lot of success with. Um, and we're like in a, a private, like a uh, beta group with the buy with prime team. Um, so we're getting like a lot of new features that are rolled out there and we've seen really good success with it. Honestly, I was hesitant to add it to my site um, initially. Cause I was like, I don't really want to give Amazon like more data, you know, about who is coming to buy on my site, but customers like Amazon at the end of the day, you know, and we're offering better incentives um, on our site, and obviously we're not paying the marketplace fee, and they're, um, it, and it works out pretty well for us. So I would say, as far as getting started and scaling a Shopify store, it's not as hard as a lot of people make it out to be, but it does take uh, effort, um, and you need to kind of pull like the right strings to do that. I would say the best way to go about it is having both Amazon and Shopify in tandem. If you're going to be selling on Amazon, doing them both at the same time, you can also just do Shopify. You know, obviously there's people that grow drop shipping stores and all that, but just by having an Amazon presence, people are naturally going to go to Google and Google your brand. And then you want your website to obviously pop up there and like look legit. And it's actually going to help your Amazon conversion to have a really well built out Shopify because it makes you look like a more established uh, brand. Um, so I always recommend that, you know, just have at least a landing page or just even point back to Amazon on your store um, if you, if you want to do that. And uh, you can actually even put a special Amazon link 
on your store so that Amazon pays you uh, commissions for any traffic that you drive back uh, to Amazon. But as far as scaling the brand off of Amazon, the most effective tactics for us have been uh, social media influencers. Um, so what is we do certain, with... Is that TikTok or Instagram or Pinterest? Which ones typically work best? Yeah, we've seen for our niche, which is long-term food storage, uh, that Instagram has been the most effective. And for other brands that we work with, it just depends. Like, It just depends like where their audience like truly lives. Uh, I work with a large air purifier company that crushes it on TikTok. Um, so the content is just like really demonstrative and like it's just been gone viral a lot. So we've been really focusing on that area. Um, but as far as like working with influencers, the best strategy when you're starting out is to give influencers, like choose 10 influencers who are within your niche on Instagram. So another advantage of like having a Shopify store though is is – you can remarket to these people. I mean, on Amazon, you're pretty much, it's it's a one and done unless you run another ad or you're on subscribe and save or you figure out some method with your inserts to get them back. But on Shopify, you have all that data. You can collect their phone numbers or email addresses. And then a lot of people though, unfortunately, that's the end of it. They just sit on those. Uh, and they're like, I, I, I don't want to send an email to my customers. that They might think that's spam and they may not like me. But if you're doing things right, anywhere from 20 to 50% of your sales should be coming from remarketing to those existing customers, even if it's not a subscribe and save or a monthly, you know, it's not an, a supplement or something that they need every month. What is your, what are your thoughts around that? And are there any good things that are you seeing like SMS is working really good? Always get that phone number. Or are you seeing that email is working better? Or what are you seeing on that on, on remarketing? What kind of tips or strategies could you share on that? Yeah, I think that's, so they always say like on Amazon, you're just like renting your space. You're just renting your customers. And on Shopify, you know, you own your customers. And that's exactly right. And that's like why omni-channel is so important is because you can have so many touch points with your customers. And the more touch points that you can have with customers, the more likely it is that they're going to be educated about your product and then convert on your product. So Amazon's like, we'll handle all that for you. Like, trust us, you know. But on your site, you know, you're just able to completely own that process and that experience. And what we've seen work super well for us is uh, email, uh, SMS, and affiliate have really been like what I would say are our core growth pillars um, as far as like owning the customer and having those multiple touch points. Um, so uh, I would say with email, you know, you're exactly right. We're seeing probably about 30% of our revenue right now come through email. Um, and that's like attributed to email, you know, technically, but like it's hard to know, pinpoint it exactly. But email ROI is insane. Uh, most brands that we work with are doing about a 20x on their email investment. Most of our brands are working with Klaviyo. Um, what's cool about Klaviyo is, uh, you know, you're collecting those emails and you basically set up what's called a flow, which basically uh, automates the process of sending those emails. If someone adds something to their cart, doesn't end up checking out, it shoots them an email and says, hey, we saw you added this to your cart. You know, you should go ahead and buy this item. And a lot of customers do, you know, and it's not annoying. And if it is annoying for the customer, they can opt out. So you're not being annoying as the brand, it's just part of the natural sales process that customers are used to. But with email, I would say it's critical. And any site that doesn't have email or Amazon brand that doesn't have email isn't collecting that customer data is completely losing out. You know, you launch a new product, you can email out with a campaign via Klaviyo. You can offer deals if you get overstocked on a product, you know, on Amazon, which unfortunately happens to most of us, you know, every now and then. Uh, you know, you can say, okay, you know, we're doing a flash sale on this product, forty percent off, whatever it might be. 
but what I like about SMS is I believe SMS is going to be the next frontier of communication um, because the open rates on emails for us actually are very high for my brand. Um, we're hovering right around 35% open rates, which is crazy. But a lot of brands' open rates are only about like 10 to 12%, you know, just because like people aren't as interested or engaged maybe with the brand. Whereas SMS open rate is like 75% for most brands. Um, and some brands have almost 100% open rate of text messages. And those are people that have opted in to receive those text messages. And what's really cool is you can update customers on where their order's at. So you can say like, hey, your order's on your way. Like, you know, pick it up, blah, blah, blah. And then you can also say like, hey, like, happy birthday. Like, here's a 20% off thing. It just keeps people engaged, interested. You know, and we just see crazy revenue. We did about 500K through Attentive um, just last year. Um, which is insane, you know. Never would have, never would have expected. It's a plugin for Shopify that that uh, does SMS, right? Yeah, exactly. So attentive, attentive. I love because it's just very automated. Clavio is like can be a Ferrari, but like you got to get it up and running. You know, it's like you got to build out the the flows, which are like those automations of how the emails go out. You really got to perfect them. Um, and like most brands need about forty something flows to like be fully optimized with Clavio, mm-hmm. whereas with uh, attentive, pretty much anyone can open attentive the, and pay for a monthly plan and then click like go. And it just starts, you know, doing the right types of text messages, you know, that you need to be doing, which I think Clavio should do a better job of, but Clavio, you can hire a freelancer, you know, or hire an agency, you know, if you want to be running super effectively, it's hard to really learn master. I'd say Clavio, uh, without having someone, you know, on your team, that's potentially handling that for you. Um, that's because then, uh, that's why is it hard to master clay? Because you, you're talking about flows, so explain a flow is, is a sequence of emails based on actions that they took, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and you're saying that's difficult to set up on Clavio, or, or it's just difficult to warm up the audience on Clavio because uh, coming off a new ISP, or, or what? What is it that can you be more specific? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say with Clavio to have like a truly effective email strategy, like you're going to need your emails to be like visually dynamic and interested and compelling to obviously click on. Um, so not every brand has the capability of like doing that in-house designing like those really visual emails. And then within, you know, your given brand or your given niche, there's different strategies that work most effectively for email. Um, so for us, you know, we typically see within like my brand that we, our customers are like hottest within the first like three days. So we have like really dynamic flows set up that we've optimized over time to say like, okay, customer clicks on the email or clicks on a product, you know, doesn't purchase, they get this exact email. Okay, if this customer like didn't purchase, you know, 90 days ago, or this customer purchased 90 days ago, you know, we're going to send them a different type of email, you know, than if they haven't purchased, uh, you know, for 90 days. So we try to like keep customers like within our pool of shoppers um, by like keeping them engaged or willing to offer like those discounts within certain periods of time. And we've just perfected this, you know, and I have email people now that are kind of like setting this up and paying attention to this like constantly, but that's like why part of why our open rates are so high is because like we have people like paying like deep attention there. Whereas like attentive for the most part, like I, I pretty much check on that myself, you know, and it like printed like 500 K, you know, like right off the bat. Whereas like, I think Clavio could be a little bit more automated. And I'm not saying at like the lower level, Clavio is not like set it and forget it, which I think it can be. And I think a lot of brands do it that way. But I think to turn Clavio into like the Ferrari that, you know, generates like 25 to 50% of your revenue, you kind of have to like 
pay a little bit more attention to it to, to have it fully reach that potential. And you said earlier that it's important to have payment methods that people like, like uh, PayPal or pay with Amazon or whatever, so they don't want to enter their credit card. What about, have you done any testing with like these buy now, pay later kind of things? Uh, that, that's been a hot thing. Uh, and conversion rates for a lot of people that were using them were going way up, but then there was a really high default rate on them. A lot of those companies were like upside down. What's your experience been with with using that? Or, and, and should you only use that for high ticket items or does it work for a $20 food storage thing too? Yeah, we we don't do like huge volume, honestly, through a firm. So we use a firm, um, which is kind of like the leader uh, in the space. Amazon also has a partnership with a firm. And we we there are people that use it, you know, so we do want to offer it. I, I always say like you want your website to be at least with at parity with Amazon. So like you don't want to have like less functionality on your website than Amazon offers. We've been very intentional um, with the offerings on the site, you know, to have them be there because I don't want someone to be like, oh, I'm buying on Amazon because they don't have you know pay over time. So we offer that, but I would say for us, it's not crazy redemptions. But in for our partners, like clients that I have uh, that sell like higher ticket price point items, you know, like a hundred dollars, then we're seeing crazy uh, claims, you know, for a firm where people are like, yeah, like doing it pretty pretty constantly and like a large sum of revenue is coming um, from pay over time. Are you doing anything when it comes to SEO or, you know, blog posts or SEO or anything like that, um, that, that, that you're seeing results on? Yeah, we pay a lot of attention to SEO. I'd say that's been one of our like also biggest tactics is SEO is a little bit different because it's like a long-term strategy. It's been like a one to two year strategy for us. And I really don't even think it's, I think it's going to be more of a five year strategy it's just not, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't do because it doesn't have that like immediate payoff, like working with influencers or Facebook does. But I saw uh, brands like, uh, I, I have some friends that work for like a very large uh, soap company and they started really heavily leaning, a D2C soap company, and they started leaning in very heavily to SEO and it like blew them up like really crazily. Like when you type in uh, best soap for men, like they come up right away. And I was like, damn, like I should be coming up right away. <laughs> for, you know, long-term food storage bags or like my brands should be coming up for these keywords, which are not. And I'm like, why are these brand, my brands not coming up for the right keywords? Because like, I always click on the first thing on Google. That's not an ad typically. And I think most people shop that way. Cause it's like, we're, we're now like trained to not click on the Google ads, you know, cause we're like, they're like seen as spam in some cases, you know? So you have to build, you know, your authority obviously to like start ranking for those and you have to get indexed uh, within Google, and Google, I started really diving in. I'd say about a year ago into Google Search Console, and we built out an internal SEO team um, that focuses pretty aggressively on SEO because it is such a crazy tactic. So if you look up like best Mylar bags now, which is a pretty heavily searched keyword, you know you'll see Wallaby Goods, and typically either like the number one or number two position, you know, because the other brands also fighting for SEO. But the idea is that. By getting that position, you know you're writing uh, essentially blog articles and indexing, you know, all the like content on your site correctly in order to have Google be able to scrape that content and offer it to uh, its searchers, you know, anyone that's doing a search on Google, so that they find the right content and then get to your website and then don't go to another website. And just to like for anyone that's like, I didn't really understand that premise, but Google basically awards uh, web authority by you being like the last place that someone went for like a given search. So if someone types in best Mylar bags, they get to our site and they like stay, they just stay on our site and they're like done with their searches. Google is saying like, we did our job. We helped connect 
you know, people to the right place they were looking. We helped connect the information to the person, you know, that's Google's like accomplishment. So if you can be that source of information for, you know, common searches, like on your blog, you know, for us, like a blog post might be like 10 critical foods uh, for uh, prepare for long-term preparedness or like the best foods to bring uh, for like a 10 day hiking trip. You know, that's like a very common search. So we can have that blog article and then tie it in with, you know, the offerings that we have. We start to index higher and higher and higher for that search and the relevant keywords within that article. And that's really, I don't know the exact revenue tied to it, but obviously getting to, you know, an eight figure business, you know, in a year, I think I attribute a lot of it to that SEO strategy. Um, and I, if anyone out there has a better mechanism for tracking revenue, you know, tied to that, I'd be interested in that as well. Yeah, I, there's a good site called answerthepublic.com where you can actually get a lot of these questions that people are asking. And another another thing on the SEO that you can do is if you can you can find things that people are typing, like what's the best Mylar storage bag? And if you look at the results on Google and there's not a video uh, on page one and you go and create a video on YouTube that has that exact title, uh, oftentimes you'll actually get ranked. Uh, you'll, you'll Amazon, I mean, uh, Google likes to actually show a video on page one, you can actually get ranked uh, on that That's video. That's a great idea. Then you actually have links and stuff in in there. So there, there's lots of ways you can play the SEO game. That's you know, there's good tools like SEM Rush and a whole bunch of those that are really good uh, for for figuring that stuff out. But I get I guess the moral of the story here is you need to be hitting on all cylinders uh, because if you're just focusing on Amazon, just focusing within the Amazon ecosystem, you're leaving a lot of money and opportunity on the table. Uh, and, and as you said, you, you said, did you, did I hear you correctly? You grew it to an eight figure brand in less than a year. Yeah. Just, just over a year. So about a year and like two months is, and you did this with no, you did this self-funded, right? You didn't have any outside money or anything. Yep. Correct. So I, I worked at Amazon for five years. So I had some savings from that. And then, uh, we put in initially when we started the business about $50,000, um, into Wallaby goods. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've bootstrapped it since then. I don't know if we have technically taken out, uh, lines of credit from Amazon. Um, so we've used, uh, I forget the exact, I think it's like Amazon lending we've used. Yeah. It's like a program yeah. where uh, you take a loan out from uh, Goldman Sachs, they like a partnership and it's like the Marcus, uh, lending program and they'll extend you lines of credit based on like your sales. So we've, we've had a lot of success with that program um, with Amazon lending and the terms have been awesome. You know, comparatively, we've looked at uh, other providers in the market um, for getting funds. I don't love the payment schedules of some of the partners that are out there right now. So by just taking out that money, being smart, launching, you know, better products, you know, that are making us money, um, getting more intelligent, using tools like Helium 10, you know, to inform our decisions, you know, and then, uh, you know, just dub doubling down. And now we're launching three more brands this year. Um, which we're really excited about. So we're continuing to scale that and we're continuing to scale our partner brands. You know, we apply basically all the best practices um, to our partners as well. You know, so I think that's what really helps us as an agency is like, we're really in the trenches. We have our own brand. We're launching more brands and we're able to really just be in the weeds. Whereas a lot of agencies uh, I've found, and I think, I think you would agree, like they don't really necessarily like they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They don't know what it's like to, you know, spend their own money and make the mistakes. So we're, we're actually doing that in real time. And I have teams, you know, managing that. I'm more focused on the agency side. Um, it's, it's been something that like, I think has benefited our partners greatly. How is AI affecting what you're doing? 
on, on your businesses or is it yet? <laughs> it's, it's made writing the blog posts a lot faster. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've, I'm, I've been, we've been using chat GPT a lot. Um, I know it's like a hot topic right now. And I was actually pretty hesitant to get into chat GPT. And I, I hate to admit that I'm like old, even though I'm 27, but the, uh, like some of my younger teammates, uh, really heavily lean into chat GPT and we use it now to inform like content direction, uh, for Instagram reels. So it'll help us come up with like really creative ideas for reels on Instagram, which is like tough because we're publishing like four to five reels, uh, you know, a week now, if, if possible, sometimes it's tight with the deadlines, um, for blog articles, you know, we're obviously like able to pump out blog articles pretty quickly. But the blog articles need to be good content. You can't just like copy and paste an article from ChatGPT. You do need to like edit the article, make sure it's good. But directionally, I think it's very helpful. Um, and then I haven't yet seen like a really good way to apply it to like discovering products. But I thought that'd be kind of a cool way um, to go about it or like looking for different niches. Um, and then we write uh, like the Instagram, um, like what is it called? Like the descriptions of the videos with ChatGPT now. So like we used to spend a lot of time like, writing like what we would call like SEO packed um, Instagram descriptions. Cause Instagram, uh, you know, similarly to Amazon uses the keywords within the description of the videos to try to like figure out who to show the videos to. So we use chat GPT to like write, you know, SEO embedded descriptions for Instagram. Uh, do you have any other ways that people are using it though right now? Yeah, they're using it to analyze reviews, using it for PPC, using it to look at opportunities. Uh, there, there's, We've had several guests on the NPM podcast talk about it. I a couple months ago, I went to a big AI conference in Vegas where they're showing all kinds of really cool stuff to use it across the board. It's it's going to revolutionize a lot of stuff. And what's what's really cool, like you're talking about all the video stuff, is the next version. I don't know if it's going to be four point five or five. It's supposed to come out in December. Uh, you know that could change, but in December of this year, it's going to have video in it, so where you can wow. actually it will analyze videos uh, deeply. And, you know, to tell you this, this video has three people in it and a dog or, or whatever. Right? And we'll also create videos just like you're creating now with, with mid journey or Dolly or some of those where you're, you can create images. It's going to be able to create videos on the fly. And that's going to be, I think that's going to be the next level of things that's going to influence a lot of stuff. So yeah, the AI stuff uh, is, is something, you know, even at the, at the billion dollar seller summit that's happening uh, next, next week. And, Puerto Rico, a couple of people are actually talking about it because it's, like you said, it's the hot thing right now. And I think we're just barely touching the surface. A lot of software tools have been in integrating some of it to help you write titles or bullet points or whatever, but there's so much you can do way, way, way beyond that. I, I know someone at Parsimony, you know, they have SOP box uh, and it's actually, you can go into, into this and say, write me an SOP on how to do brand analytics uh, on Amazon, for example. And it will, it will create the entire SOP. So you don't have to have a human that's like clicking and following. It will, it will go out there with this database of stuff. I don't know how it does it. It will create the entire SOP. So you can, wow. do, things, you can do things like that. You can do things with like your products, like probably with, a, you know, with your storage containers. Like here's, have chat GPT write 10 ways to better preserve peaches. Or, or I don't know. I'm just making something up. Uh, and it, it will create, here's the 10 ways. And, you know, you can... You can provide people with that kind of stuff and then segment them into audiences. You could actually have them scan a QR code off the insert. I'm just brainstorming here off the top. And then, then do you like, what are you storing in your containers? Oh, I'm storing apples or peaches or 
cookies or whatever it may be. And then you know, okay, these guys are all storing cookies. Let's create a, a, uh, a target. Uh, you know, 80% of the people say they're storing cookies. Let's change some of our marketing to actually have a cookie long-term storage container instead of just long-term storage container that also, that, you know, and cookies is just listed. Make it hyper-focused on cookies. So people are like looking at a hundred different storage containers. Which one's for me? I'm going to store cookies. Oh, this one's for cookies specifically. And, uh, and, you know, then have the benefits. You can do so much. There's so much opportunity. I'm just, I'm keeping my ear to like the, what's coming out. And I'm hoping that like someone really leans in on the Amazon side with the best practice, you know, document there when it's like uh, a little bit further along. Awesome. Well, Dakota, we've been talking for a while here and I know we could probably keep talking and geeking out <laughs> on, on cool stuff for, for but uh, I, I want to say thanks again for, for coming on. If people want to reach out to you, find out more about what you do or your agency or anything, how, what's the best way to go about doing that? Yeah, my email is Dakota, D-A-K-O-T-A at altgroup.com, A-L-T group.com. And I'm launching my YouTube channel. So just be my name, Dakota Morse. Um, you can Google me and I'm on LinkedIn. So look forward to connecting with the community. Um, appreciate everything you've done for the Amazon and e-commerce community as well. I've learned a ton from you uh, via your content with uh, Helium 10. So really excited. Appreciate everything. And uh, you know, hope that we can connect again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Dakota. Thank you. A lot of great information in this episode with Dakota. I hope you enjoyed that and uh, we're taking notes and got some good stuff that you can implement from that. Don't forget the past episodes of the AMPM podcast are also available. If you missed something, you can check your feed where you're listening to this now or you can go to ampmpodcast.com and always remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. We'll be back again next week with another awesome guest. But before we go, I've got some words of wisdom for you. In order for your business to survive and to actually thrive and to be able to scale it, you've got to accomplish at least one of these two tasks. That's either develop an advantage or add value above the value added by your competitors. You either have to have an advantage that you develop or you have to add value above the value of your competitors. Do one or two of those or better yet, both of them. You'll have a much better chance of success. See you again next week. 